Did you ever imagine that there would be more distilleries in Brooklyn and New York City than there are breweries? Never. Well, it's true. And one of those distilleries is a one-woman operation known as Noble Experiment. We first encountered Noble Experiment at a slow food cocktail event about a year ago, and we're impressed by the quality of the spirits. The woman behind the operation, Bridget Fertile, plans on making some American whiskey and has a rye in the works, but right now the only commercial release is a white rum called Oni's. She was one of the speakers at a recent Malted Barley Appreciation Society homebrew meeting at Muggs in Williamsburg. And that's basically what our podcast is this week. At some points in the podcast, you'll hear Bridget giving an answer to a question that you might not have heard because the person asking the question was too quiet to be recorded. So if it sounds a little disjointed now and then, that's your explanation. I'd like to think it was the rum talking, just a very free-flowing stream of consciousness, but that's not true. Just quiet questions and louder answers. All right, June meeting, 2013. Our esteemed president is in England right now. I'm talking loud enough. Everybody can hear me. We have two guests today, and our, our first one is Bridget Fertile, who runs the Noble Experiment right here in this neighborhood, a few blocks away. And uh, she's going to tell us about her, her one-woman distillery. Right? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I guess just a little bit of background on the company and who I am. I actually used to work in finance, and I was my education was in. And I went and worked for a hedge fund, and I was the global alcoholic beverage financial analyst there. So I got to spend my time researching and investing in global beer, wine, and spirits companies, and got to see the awesome stuff that happened in craft distilling. Was super excited about that. Became passionate about carefully crafted, homegrown spirits and beer, and. Um, really sick of what I was doing and envious about what I was watching so a couple of years ago I decided to do a crazy thing and write a business plan last year I basically started construction on the distillery it was it was a year of construction for me finished up in the end of the summer beginning of the fall of last year and started distilling there started introducing the first product which is Oni's probably at the end of last year and so really been thinking about it as full steam ahead as of January 1st of this year first product it's a white rum I'm really enthralled with the history of rum making in this country I'm trying to bring back a distinctive type of New York style rum since it was the first spirit we distilled and and I think it's an underappreciated spirit in general and I think there's an opportunity to educate people on what rum is and so the rum that I make really only has three ingredients New York tap water which is actually that's been filtered through a standard water filter that's actually really good for distilling. I'm biased as a New Yorker. I think it's the best water in the world, but it actually is chemically great for distilling. Molasses and yeast. And the molasses is an all-natural, non-GMO, grade A molasses, sugarcane molasses from uh, sugarcane plantations in Florida and Louisiana, so it's 100% domestic. And a proprietary yeast strain that I've cultivated and basically gets everything gets done at the distillery itself. Five-day cold fermentations and temperature-controlled tanks, closed-top tanks. And then it's distilled in a pop column hybrid still to about 80, 85% alcohol by volume. So something that's pretty pure, 
but not neutral. So leaves a lot of the bite out of that, especially like in an unaged product. A lot of the harsh qualities are not there, but it still retains a lot of character and flavor. It's not something like a vodka, which has to be, by definition, distilled above 95% alcohol by volume, and thus a neutral type of taste. This is the first product. I've got some stuff aging as well. I'm hoping, ideally, to do a variety of different aged expressions of the rum. So right now I've got stuff in new charred American oak, uh, char number three barrels, so traditional American whiskey barrels. Hoping to use some used barrels, some wine barrels, some different types of oak and have kind of a variety of expressions that I'm going to wait several years uh, for the aging process so they're not going to be ready anytime soon. Also if I get, get the time, I've got one barrel of rye aging now and I love whiskey too so I'm just trying to divide my time appropriately. But I actually have stuff to taste. I have one of the actually stuff from the second batch which I think that you will be able to taste the difference between what I've got that's current versus the first one or two batches. There's actually a really interesting article in Whiskey Advocate this month by Lou Bryson comparing the beginning of craft distilling to the beginning of craft brewing. And there's a short article comparing uh, the inconsistencies of craft brewing and how everybody wound up getting consistent over time as they got more comfortable with their technique. So the main difference I would say between these two is that my cuts have gotten better and so when you distill, when you take product off the still, basically comes out, there are three parts to a distillation run, the heads, the hearts, and the tails. The heads are the first things to boil off. They are the most volatile compounds. They boil the lowest boiling points. They're things like methanol and acetone, smell and taste like nail polish remover. They're not good for you. They go down the drain. As you get deeper into the run, you're approaching ethanol, which is the purest form of alcohol you can get get to more palatable stuff and you make your heads cut and you start collecting your hearts. Hearts are the meat and potatoes of your run. They're what's going into a bottle or a barrel eventually. And after you've done collecting those, you transition from your hearts to your tails. Tails being stuff that you're approaching water. They're heavier compounds. They're butanols, propanols. Smell, taste, and kind of feel oily. They're collectively referred to as fusoils. So where you make those cuts are obviously imperative to the flavor and, and taste and aromas of your final product. The first couple of batches, I would say that I made really, really tiny parts cuts. So it was like just very neutral, pretty much all ethanol. My cuts have gotten a little bit bigger now, so I'm taking a little bit more of the tails. And so you get a little bit more of a oily kind of taste on the newer versions. And then it's got a little bit more depth in my opinion. So this is probably done, you know, last fall and this was probably last month. So. The story behind the name is that the house I grew up in, I grew up in Rockaway Beach in Queens, and the house I grew up in had a beautiful bar in the basement. It was kind of a selling point for my parents. When I was about 10 years old, one of the older neighbors on the block, about an 85-year-old, 90-year-old woman, said, hey, that was an act of speakeasy during Prohibition, and it makes total sense because you can seal off that whole area, and there's a, a separate one. entrance to it. So it inspired me to name the first product after that era. So Oni basically is nickname of a gangster. He was grew up in Hell's Kitchen. He was a, a leader of the Gopher Gang at the turn of the century. And then when Prohibition was enacted, he was a speakeasy proprietor, a bootlegger, and then most endearing to me, he was a rum runner. And he had an estate in Rockway. And he used to smuggle rum in off the shores from the Caribbean. And it was the first time rum really had a resurgence in popularity in this country since the colonial era. You know, I think that a lot of the, the character and flavor of the product is obviously... The ingredients are essential. So the molasses is the biggest differentiating factor in the rum. So basically rum is the most loosely defined spirit that exists. There is 
whiskeys, American whiskeys or scotch or Irish whiskeys, you're getting pretty strict definition on how you have to make it, how you have to age it, and um, what the mash bill and stuff like that has to be. Rum, the only definition is that it has to be made from some form of the sugarcane plant. And it's made in so many different countries in the world in so many different ways, I think there's a lot of confusion around it. But basically you get two types of rum, a sugarcane juice rum or a rum agricole made from cane juice, uh, where you crush the cane, you extract the juice, ferment it and distill it, really earthy, minerally, grassy, cane is a form of grass, really popular in French-speaking Caribbean countries. Problem with working with juice is that it ferments on its own in three days, so you can't ship it or store it. So that's why most rum is made from molasses. So most rum is molasses-based. Molasses is the byproduct of sugar refining. So you take that juice, basically heat it up, extract the sugars in a crystallized form, and then everything else becomes molasses. Because refining has gotten so efficient over time, most widely available and cheapest form of molasses is a black strap. It's only got about 10% sugar, really high in nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus, and other minerals, but low in sugar. It's actually good for you, but not great for making alcohol, because obviously, as you guys know, during fermentation, you used to eat sugar, sugars and make alcohol. If you don't have much sugar to start with, you're not going to get much alcohol at the end of fermentation. You're going to have a lot of harsh stuff in the wash to distill out, which is why a lot of white rums are really harsh. But when you put those impurities into a barrel over time, they mellow out and become more palatable. The molasses I'm using is a, a grade A or a high sugar content molasses, so it's got about 70% sugar in it. Basically, it's a less refined type of molasses. That's why the rum has a lot of characteristics that are similar to an agricole and also um, 100% blackstrap. There's a lot of like viscosity to it. So the molasses being one of the differentiating factors and then secondarily, the fermentation philosophy. So most rum is fermented only for about 48 hours in like hot, fast type of fermentations. I'm implementing a long, cold fermentation. Every, all the tanks are temperature controlled. Keep yeast alive for five days. And so I think there's a lot of byproducts of the fermentation in the form of esters that come out on the palate and the nose as well. So you find that pretty much the molasses is consistent? Yeah, so there's actually a master blender for the molasses that I've sourced and his job is to maintain consistency and chemical composition and also in flavor and aroma. I'm kinda of curious, after you ferment it but before you distill, what does it taste like? Um, it tastes like, like a weird beer wine. I mean, I've read that Colonial Days, he did actually make beer out of molasses. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's how it was, dis rum basically was discovered. Right. At, in Barbados in the 1620s, everything right. that the plantation owners were throwing out yeah. started to ferment on, you know, the molasses started to ferment on its own. And so right. the kind of slaves that were working the plantations figured out that they could drink it and get drunk. <laughs> so it's similar to a beer in that yeah. respect. Um, it tastes, in my, it smells and tastes, in my opinion, like somewhere between beer and wine. I basically started writing the business plan in 2011. I was practicing, but the, the problem with practicing is that it's, especially in distillation, it's really hard to translate something small scale to the large scale. So it was more like visiting a lot of craft distilleries and reading. And then it was trial and error. <laughs> Spirits are just way more heavily regulated than beer in general, obviously. It's, as you've just alluded to, it's completely illegal to make them at home, whereas you can homebrew. Craft beer is just ahead of craft spirits right now in terms of legislation, and they get small they brewers. The, the TV show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Small brewers get tax breaks versus big brewers. Now, small distillers still pay the exact same excise tax as large guys, so... Now that the industry is growing and there are more of us, we're lobbying. There's a big movement to try and reduce the excise taxes. 
Because it's for a small person, like it, even if I was selling everything that I could make, I still think I would be making less money than I would be paying in taxes. But things almost. have changed in New York in the last few years because there used to be no distillery. Yeah, so 2002 was the first time you could even have, a, there was even a distiller's license to acquire in New York State. Right. 2002, there were four distilleries. 2007, those four basically helped lobby to change legislation to make the license a little bit more flexible. Um, if you use New York State grown grains in your whiskey, you can sell directly from the distillery. You can self-distribute. You don't have to go through a distributor and all these things. Since 2007, the growth has been exponential. Yeah. I think there are 50 craft, upwards of 50 craft well, distilleries. I think there's more distilleries than there are breweries. There are 10 distilleries in yeah. Brooklyn alone. Yeah. What would you mix with this? First recommendation is the daiquiri because most people don't know what a traditional daiquiri is. And, you know, I didn't realize that till like, 10 tours in when I would say at the end of the tour, and then I would get all these long faces. She just walked us through this whole crazy process, and now she wants us to take, like, a box of sugar and pour it over it and blend it. But traditional daiquiri is just fresh lime juice and simple syrup shaken and served up, and it's arguably one of the most classic and perfectly balanced cocktails you can create. And I always just say that because it's something that can be created at home. Anything, a little bit of citrus, a little bit of sweet, like a smash, sliced lemon, and a little bit of sugar, and mint, or sage, or muddled at the bottom, ice on top, ice and round. I mean, you can shake it or yeah. just stir it. If you, you do a lot of infusion. Yeah, so right now, I, do, I have a lot of great infuse, infusion ideas. I just feel like it's too young to start introducing line extensions, so probably towards the holidays this year, I'll have a kind of interesting spiced rum and uh, some like earthy type of rosemary infusions and things like that. Yeah, I think that it, actually the rum has, it's a pretty dry rum, it's not nearly, it smells a lot sweeter than it actually tastes, I think that it's pretty like, gets a lot of the earthiness and minerality from the agricultural characteristics. So for any spirit, the only way a spirit picks up color is from being in the barrel, unless a company has added back caramel coloring or something like that. So I actually have two licenses right now. They're both for small distillers. One is a farm license, which if I was to be selling whiskey eventually, I could I have a little bit more flexibility. I could sell the whiskey from the distillery. I also have the A. So with the farm license, you have to use stuff that's grown in New York in your product. For the A1 license, which is the other small license, obviously sugar is not grown in New York, so that's what I use for the rum. And it's based on volume, and it's a little bit more expensive than the farm license, because the farm license is predicated on stimulating agriculture in New York. We're actually in the midst of trying to combine the licenses too because it's kind of silly to have two. And then there are other ones just in terms of, you know, there's one that's $30,000 that's for like unlimited volume. So the climate is just impossible to approach certainly here. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, I think that there's basically, there's a little bit more tails in the second more batch. And so so it's, I think there's a little bit more, more character more for sure. It's more com complex. There's a different, a little bit of a different mouthfeel, um, a little bit more oily. The nose more, is totally different. Yeah. And it's it's generally smoother. It's not nearly as... The nose is yeah. just... Yeah. A little less ethanol in there. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's... Mm. Sprouted hair on my yeah. chest. Um, yeah. I decided to change that over time because most of my white rum is made like a vodka, very like small, yeah. very pure cuts. And I think that it yeah, was too I, much. 
55% of craft distillers make whiskey because the market is dictating that right now. It's such a hot category. But a lot of them are putting out stuff that's not well made, in my opinion. A lot of a lot of people are putting out really awesome stuff, and a lot of people are trying to pay their bills or capitalize on the growth of an industry, and they're not putting out well made product. Well, maybe it's just too early. Too early, not well made, whatever it is. I don't think, and they're commanding ridiculous prices for it, and I don't think that it's going to be similar to craft beer, like in the mid '90s. There's going to be a shakeout, and there's not going to be a repeat purchase from those initial consumers because. They'll try it once and realize that it's not that good, and they can get an awesome whiskey for the same price, if not lower. So, you know, I get probably four or five inquiries a week from somebody wanting to open a distillery in New York. Because we get a lot of media attention because it's a good story and people are looking for content. Right. So I think we get more media attention than what we actually are. So it draws a lot of attention to the category and people want to are excited about it. I think they think it's a lot more glamorous than it is. <laughs> what am I doing now? Um, I'm doing around like 65 six packs a month. I can do 450 to 500 a month. But I've been self-distributing for the past five months and as of May 1st I'm going with a distributor now. Hopefully we'll be growing in a nice way. Cool. Yeah, I'll be here. Thank you guys.